it's a real privilege and honor to be able to uh, bring you God's Word today. I hadn't realized it's been a couple of years since I've uh, filled in for our regular pastor. And, uh, of course, it is one of the biblical job descriptions, descriptions of an elder, isn't it, to be able to teach. And, uh, and um, <clears throat> so... I wanted to share with you a little bit from um, what has come out of my own personal devotions and reading, um, and uh, kind of the result of what we often tell people of what you need to be doing is preaching the gospel to yourself, and, and each of you uh, could and should be doing the same uh, thing if you are uh, feeding yourself daily from the Word of God. Uh, you should have some leftovers that you can share with others. So if you consider yourself a follower of Christ and are not uh, completely captivated by the Word of God, uh, or at least drawn to it, uh, I see three reasons why uh, that would be the case. If, uh, if the Word of God doesn't have a prominent place in your life, in your heart, um, three reasons that I see from Scripture are that uh, you may not be a Christian, and you know, Apostle Paul says to examine yourself, doesn't he, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians. In fact, he goes on to say, test yourself to see not if you have faith, but if you are in the faith. Um, and then another reason why the Word of God might not be uh, important to you uh, or a regular part of your diet uh, is that maybe uh, you are unhealthy. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Or maybe you are immature. And so <clears throat> there's, there's a couple of places in Scripture um, that mentioned that. So up front, the passage, before I delve into uh, the passage for today, I'd like to uh, uh, warn you up front that this is a very difficult passage. And um, there are several uh, difficult passages in the Scripture. Uh, and I'm kind of glad those difficult passages are there. I don't know if you are, but uh, one of the things it does is it serves to validate, I think, the divine nature of the Word of God and the divine origin of God's Word. Because if the Scriptures were uh, man's own, came out of man's own mind and his plans and his thinking, um, the Scriptures uh, wouldn't cut like they do. They would be a little bit more affirming, make us feel a little bit better about ourselves than they do. And so, instead, we know that the Scriptures reveal the mind and the heart and the character of a holy triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Scriptures also reveal our true, sinful, uh, selfish nature, uh, but it also reveals the beautiful salvation um, and the plan of salvation and the new covenant in Christ. But the scriptures nonetheless still cut us to the heart, don't they? I think it's interesting as Christians, we give ourselves to the, uh, to the, to the study, to the reading, the hearing, the study, memorization of God's word, meditation on God's word, thinking the whole time that we're going to examine God's word. And I just think it's interesting that um, the word of God ends up examining us, doesn't it? And it, uh, it's like the ultimate mirror. Uh, it's like when you, go, when you go travel somewhere, you go into a hotel, they have those mirrors. You ever seen those mirrors in those hotels? You know, they're, they're like magnifying glasses. And you get up there and you think, hmm, I'm not sure I like what I see. 
But, um, <clears throat> but uh, so I think of God's Word, uh, Hebrews uh, 4.12. The Word of God is living, isn't it? It's living and active, and it cuts and is a discerner in the th- between the thoughts and intents of the heart. So before I read today's passage, I want to set the stage. I have to issue you a word of warning. And I also want to discuss a hypothetical situation. And hopefully, uh, we, we have not grown too weary of hearing warnings. But this passage uh, will, um, may make you feel uncomfortable. In fact, I hope it makes you feel very uncomfortable. Everyone has their own routine, as David mentioned, raising seven children. We've kind of formed our own routine. Um, having a large family, uh, routines are uh, important to good order and discipline. And so we have our own little routine. If you wander into the Anaya household uh, around dinner time, uh, you'll find, of course, Mary busy uh, getting a meal prepped. And, uh, and usually the youngest in the family, around 5, 5.30, makes an announcement, and he says, it's time for fake news. Time for fake news. And so we, um, we, uh, we, we try to watch uh, the nightly news. And we, we do that. Mainly, uh, you know, the older ones are, usually get their news online, but the younger ones don't. And so um, it's, it's a way to get, get the news and get our information. Um, but it's also somewhat of an of a entertaining time. And so I'm not really sure what we find more entertaining about watching the nightly news, whether it's the way the mainstream media spins the news um, or, how, or how somehow it's really considered breaking news um, that it actually gets hot in the summer. And it gets really hot in some places in this country in the summer, and it actually gets cold in the winter. Somehow that's breaking news, but that's kind of, we find that always somewhat uh, entertaining. Uh, but one of, our, one of our favorite parts of watching the nightly news is, um, is the primetime pharmaceutical commercials, and uh, uh, in particular the warning labels. So I, this is one. This is called Accutane. Now, it's an act. Uh, it's an acne medicine, and here are the warnings, and I, I don't, probably don't have time to read through all of them, but uh, depressed mood, trouble concentrating, sleep problems, crying spells, aggression, agitation, changes in behavior, hallucinations, hallucinations, thoughts of hurting yourself, sudden numbness or weakness, especially on one side of the body, blurred vision, sudden severe headache, pain behind your eyes, sometimes with vomiting. Hearing problems, hearing loss, ringing in your ears, severe pain uh, in your uh, upper stomach, spreading to your back, nausea, vomiting, fast heart rate, loss of appetite, dark urine, clay-colored stools, jaundice, severe diarrhea, rectal bleeding, black, bloody, or or tarry stools, fever, chills, and so on and so forth. And so you hear something like this and you think, I think the least of your problems is acne if you have, you know, so, but at least if you have, uh, if you don't experience any of those, you don't have to worry about pimples. So, failing to understand this passage today um, won't have those same physical side effects, I hope, Um, but it uh, can bring real um, and significant spiritual side effects. So, before I read this passage, I kind of want to set the stage. Imagine for a moment that you were granted access into the presence of God, and that you were able to see things that you had never seen before. In fact, that only a handful of people had ever seen that ever lived. 
and that you were able to see strange creatures with three pairs of wings, and that you were able to hear things with your ears that you had never heard before, and to, but not only to hear them, but also to understand them, and that you were able to see things and understand what you were seeing, and you were able for a moment to perceive the inconceivable majesty of God. What would you say? What would you do? Would you be so frightened that you'd pretend to be dead like some did in the, in the Bible? Um, how would you feel in your heart and in your mind? Would you be overcome by the majesty and power and beauty of God? Would you become intensely aware of your own humanity, possibly your own sinful nature? Would you realize, you know what, I really don't belong here? Um... Would you immediately think of others that you love and, and wish that they could, if only they could see and hear what, what you've been privileged to see and hear? What if you stood in the presence of God and he actually spoke to you and you heard the voice of God audibly and understood it? Not only that, what if he asked you to do something? What if the God of the universe wanted to, you to deliver a message to the rest of the world? What would you think that message would be? Perhaps some sort of a message to help people turn to him? Would he have to give you some sort of ability to perform miracles so people could believe? Give people some miraculous sign so they can have some sort of evidence in order that they could believe? After all, isn't that what people really need? Some sort of proof? Don't people need some sort of proof to believe? Some sort of miraculous sign, maybe in the clouds, maybe in the sky, maybe some sort of miraculous ability to take something ordinary like water and make it heal people? Perhaps a miraculous image of Christ or of Mary. Perhaps some sort of miraculous image in in something every day like your toast or your tortilla. Um, As long as it's a miracle. Well, we know that, never mind the fact that Jesus said, an evil and adulterous people seek after a sign, don't they? They asked him, give us a sign. And he said, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And so he refused their demands for a sign. So this passage in Isaiah does come uh, with a bit of a warning. This Old Testament passage that we are going to read is quoted by all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's actually quoted twice by Luke because it's mentioned, he closes the book of Acts with a mention. And this passage is used to explain why Jesus spoke in very difficult, hard-to-understand parables. In fact, St. John used this passage and referred to this passage that we are going to read this morning to explain unbelief. Even after Jesus performed, it says, many incredible miracles and signs. And so, 
And then, of course, in the book of Acts, the last chapter, Paul uses it to explain his discussion with the Jewish community in Rome and why they didn't believe. And he said, this is why they don't believe. And so, uh, I'm doing something a little unconventional. If you see in the bulletin, the title for the sermon is only half there. I'm leaving the second half off, hoping that you'll figure it out, or we'll discover it as we go. But the title of this sermon is, God Gives Sight to the Blind, and a little bit of hanging chad there for you, if you remember that event. So, now hear the word of God from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, starting in chapter 6. And so the, uh, the scriptures are in your bulletin, or you're welcome to read along in your, in your translation. This is the ESV version. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke and I said woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts then one of the seraphim flew to me having a having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar He touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Us. Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their, he- their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And now hear the corresponding word of God from the New Testament in Matthew chapter 13. This follows right after Jesus ex- um, explained the parable, or not explained, but... Um, cited the parable of the sower in verse 9. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him. Why do you speak in parables? He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, Even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear 
and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. So, in Isaiah chapter 6, after having discharged his office for quite some time, the office of a prophet and a teacher, Isaiah is ushered into the presence of God before his throne. We know when this happened because he said in the year King Uzziah died. We don't know where it happened. We don't know if it occurred while he was in the temple or during a dream or um, out in the field, but we know it was some sort of a supernatural experience. And I think it's interesting to note that um, some people, some scholars think that, why isn't this chapter one of Isaiah? You know, isn't this Isaiah's commission? And some people actually think that it's an error in the scriptures. And I really like what John Calvin says. If you, you can look up his commentary, he disagrees, obviously. He says, no, uh, Isaiah's already been a prophet and a teacher for some time. And he says, the Lord gives his servants periodic tokens of his presence. And he does this, that they might be brought low and utterly confounded. And I, I think we, uh, we need that. Um, but nevertheless, he's already spent five chapters cataloging the sins of God's people and their unbelief. And so Isaiah sees with his own eyes the glory of God. And much like Moses, he doesn't see God directly. He sees his indirect glory. He sees the, uh, the train of his robe. And um, it's interesting, John, in John chapter 12, elaborates on whose glory he, uh, he saw. Nevertheless, um, the, uh, he also sees these angelic creatures, the seraphim. And these creatures are obviously overwhelmed by the glory and majesty of the triune God. They, with one pair of wings, they cover their eyes. It would be like us staring at the sun for too long. And notice what they say to each other. Of course, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These angelic creatures can do nothing but praise and give glory to God. Isn't that interesting? Because contrast that with other beings, namely human beings, especially the human beings that Isaiah had just been talking about. Um, nevertheless, Isaiah, in the presence of God, is confronted um, and he becomes intensely aware of his own sin. And, uh, he, of course, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I think also he realizes, you know what? I don't have anything to say. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I am surrounded by a people of unclean lips. And so I'm not really sure if he's, if he's saying, look, I'm really no different than everybody else, or I'm maybe influenced by other, other, the sin of others. Um, but notice, notice what the Lord's response is not. Once Isaiah comes to an understanding of his, his own sin in the presence of God, he doesn't say, don't worry about it, you know, just invite me into your heart and... Uh, as long as you feel sorry for your sin, that's okay, Isaiah. Um, and it's interesting to note that before there can be forgiveness, um, we need to be confronted, and there's two things that have to be dealt with, both our sin and our guilt. And both of those are, are dealt with. Of course, the, uh, 
Seraphim says in verse 6, The seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I think it's interesting. Notice that it takes something else and someone else to atone for sin. And not just atone, but the removal of guilt. And then so the Lord asks, asks a question. And I, verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Presumably to the people. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Us. Then I said, Here am I, send me. So, what is Isaiah's response after having been cleansed and pardoned and have his guilt removed? The response can be nothing else than, of course, of course, here I am. Send me, Lord. Um, but send me to do what? What's the message that Isaiah is given? Of, of course, if you or I were in that situation, it doesn't really matter what the message is, does it? You're in the presence of God and he's just atoned for your sin and and removed your guilt. The response can only be to say and do whatever you want me to say and do, Lord. Um, But this is where this passage becomes troubling. And he said, go and say to the people. Now think about it for a moment. And we, we talked about the hypothetical situation, but what would you expect the message to be to people after having been in the presence of God. Wouldn't you want to tell people exactly what you saw and heard after hearing His Word? How about, Lord, just let them see what I saw and they'll believe. How about, would you expect the message to be that God loves them? After all, He loves everyone, doesn't He? For God so loved the world. You know, I had, it was one of those cool evenings several years ago, and I was out, uh, I think it was the summer, we were outside doing some work on the yard, as we often do, and I noticed uh, some young guys out uh, in the neighborhood wearing uh, white shirts and black ties, very well dressed, uh, canvassing the neighborhood. Of course, I knew who they were, and I, I like to put guys like that on the spot, and uh, I said, hey guys, what are you doing? Oh, we're just uh, out talking to people. Oh, yeah, what are you telling them? Oh, we're telling people that God loves them. I said, oh, really? I said, my Bible doesn't say that. And they kind of looked at me kind of funny, and I said, well, I mean, it says that he does love them in a general sort of way. And, you know, the sun shines on everybody and rains on everybody, but it says he hates the wicked. And they kind of, you know, anyway, those guys don't come to my house anymore. But... Uh, <clears throat> So what would you expect the message that Isaiah would deliver after being in the presence of God? How about to tell the people to obey God? Obey. Well, that hadn't worked. That didn't work. It didn't work in the first five chapters. It didn't work in the whole Old Testament. Uh, in fact, the whole Old Testament is, speaks to not only the people's lack of obedience, but their inability to obey. In fact, 
In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. So what would you expect the message to be? If the people were not obedient, how about repent? You need to repent. You people need to repent. Well, if you know your Old Testament, that didn't work either. People never repented. And they never repented because they never were able to repent. How about the message, the modern Christian, 21st century Christian message? Would that be the message that Isaiah should deliver to the people? How about the message that says this? Won't you give Jesus a chance? Got God? Um, Just open the door of your heart and let Jesus in. Invite him into your heart. After all, you wouldn't want to leave the Lord of glory outside in the cold. Uh, Just invite him in. He can't turn down an open invitation. Or how about the popular message from a megachurch in our town that says this. God is on your side. Maybe that's the message that, uh, that uh, Isaiah should have been given. God is on your side and he wants you to be healthy and he wants you to be wealthy and he wants you to be attractive. I'm being a little sarcastic, obviously. All of us have sat under that kind of theology one time or another um, until one day, by the grace of God, um, we recognize that there is something, something fundamentally wrong with that message. Um, And that's why hopefully some of you are visiting church today that you have become become and grown uncomfortable with that message. You no longer see that in Scripture, and as we did and my family uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, You've become hopefully weary of that modern bumper sticker theology uh, that says, you know what, God is a gentleman. He will not impose himself upon you. He really wants relationship. And he's not a gentleman. He's not an English gentleman. He's not any kind of a gentleman. It says he's a consuming fire, the Bible says. Our God is a consuming fire, and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's not a gentleman. He wasn't a gentleman to the money changers in the temple. He wasn't very gentlemanly to the religious people. And he most certainly wasn't a gentleman to Apostle Paul, was he? And so, uh, if you would give me a little latitude and uh, to be a little foolish, um, I, I often wondered what would the modern Christian message sound like if it were a pharmaceutical drug commercial? What would that look like? And so I had a little fun doing this, so give me a a moment. Do you suffer from blurred spiritual vision? Are you tired of not being able to understand the Bible? Are you tired of a God who demands way too much? Want to have your best life now? Want to know that God is on your side, no matter what side you're on? Want to be able to tell others that you are really spiritual, but not religious? 
Wish I had a dollar for every one time I heard that. Don't let the high demands of Christ get you down any longer. Taking up your cross daily can lead to signs of distress and have even been known to result in premature death. Ask your spiritual advisor if Easy Believia will work for you. Easy Believia works with your natural aversion to the truth and can restore your own natural feelings and freedom to see and hear God, whomever you think God to be, he, she, or it, and to even choose God whenever or however you please. The most common side effects of easy believia may include, but are not limited to, temporary and permanent blindness, loss of hearing, and hardness of heart. For best results, apply easy believia directly to the emotions and avoid direct contact with the mind or heart. I had too much fun with that. So we see in Scripture from our, with our own eyes the content of this message in Isaiah. And it is a difficult message. Make no bones about it. Verse 10, he sees, Though you hear my words repeatedly, you won't understand them. Though you watch and watch as I perform many miracles, you won't know what they mean. Dull their understanding, close their hearts, close their ears, shut their eyes. I don't want them to hear or to understand or to turn to me to heal them. Disturbing passage. So what's wrong with this passage? How should it be interpreted? You know, some scholars suggest that, you know what, the Lord was just, just being ironic he was using that literary tool called irony and sarcasm, which is when somebody uses some really strong language, but they, they're using the opposite of, for dramatic effect. So what they're really, the author is really saying kind of, now we wouldn't really want you to hear God's word and see what he was doing and turn to him. We wouldn't want that to happen, would we? Is the Lord using irony here and sarcasm? It's kind of like the, the reference that the Lord Jesus said. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does that mean? Is the Lord saying, hey, you got a pair of ears, use them. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. Some scholars also suggest that this is to the Jewish nation only. And that this is divine hardening for the Jews. After all, does the Lord really not want people to hear what he has to say, and to understand it? Does the Lord really not want people to see and to perceive and to comprehend what he is doing? Does the Lord really not want people to turn to him and be healed? And I'm here to tell you this morning that he does not. Let me repeat that. He does not. And so I hope that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because the triune God of the universe does not want people to hear with their ears what he has to say. He does not want them to understand. He does not want them to see and to perceive and to comprehend what he's doing. He does not want them to turn to him to be healed if it's on their terms. Not on my terms, not on your terms. 
the Lord says no, especially no with your physical feelings and emotions. And that is why in this church we unashamedly proclaim Jonah 2.9, Psalm 3, Psalm 62, that salvation is what? Is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. You know, mankind has been attempting to, um, to come to God on his or her own terms since the beginning, right? Um, and we want nothing more than to, of course, be in charge. Starting with Adam, first book of the Bible, our first parents sinned, and they attempted to come to God on their own terms. You want me to wear what? You want me to wear that bearskin outfit? It's kind of, kind of warm out here, Lord. Um, after all, you know, what's wrong with the fig leaf collection? You know, it's the creative work of our own hands. We made it. Um, aren't you impressed, Lord? After all, no animals were harmed in the making of our product, you know? What about Cain? I think it's interesting. You know, the first person born of a man and woman, you know, his, his attempt to bring to God and determine what would please God from his own hands, the work of his own hands. I think it's interesting that... <laughs> To realize, you know, the first person born of a man and woman was a murderer. You know, the, the biblical narrative isn't very um, affirming to our, to our own nature, is it? Uh, it just uh, it doesn't make us feel very good about ourselves, um, sorry to say. Nevertheless, God says no. And so that's why he says, The man become, has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and live forever. And so what does he do? He escorts them out of the garden. So, not only do we have this passage, 800 years before Christ, we have the, uh, you know, how the New Testament, how the Lord viewed this passage, how the disciples viewed this passage, and we've read that. Um, it's not irony that the Lord said, he who has, has ears to hear, let him hear. And so, um, we're running short on time, but the Lord says, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah. And in fact, in John, in chapter 12, he even goes a little further. After Jesus had performed many miracles, he says that the people could not believe because he has blinded them. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we're told that we may approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness because of what Jesus has done. And he told his followers, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and, re- and righteous people long to see what you see, and they didn't see it. To hear what you hear, and they didn't hear it. So even though we have been given ears to hear, and eyes to see, and a new heart, um, which are all, of course, promises of the new covenant, aren't they? Um, Many Christians still live their lives as if they are in charge. A lot of Christians will say, I will determine and define what is sin and what is not sin. I will turn to God when and if I am good and ready, the time and the place of my own choosing. After all, that's kind of the modern Christian message. I will live my life as I see fit. 
That's the American, American way, isn't it? Or in the, little, in the words of a little child I once heard that I was watching a friend's little child, and I thought, well, this guy's getting out of line. I corrected him, and he looked at me and said, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and so uh, I'll go to church if and when I want to, never mind the scriptural mandate to not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And I will leave church when I feel my rights have been violated or my feelings hurt. I will marry whom I want to marry, choose my career, I'll do what I want, when I want, and how I want to do it. I am my own boss, and no one will ever own me. I may even reserve the right to define my own DNA, my own sexuality, and my own gender. And so, in the immortal words of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, right? And so this all stands in stark contrast to the scriptures, doesn't it? In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Don't you know that the body is the temple? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so, uh, another difficult passage that points out. So, if you've had an encounter with the living God, If you've had your ears opened, which is, by the way, not a one-time thing. He's constantly opening our ears. If you've been given a new heart, if you've realized the reality of those new covenant promises, if he's revealed himself to you, as a close friend of mine and brother once told me once in the gym, he gave me a heart transplant. Um... And if you've experienced the reality of having your guilt removed and your sins pardoned, the million-dollar question I have for you today is this. Can those new ears become dull? Can those new eyes grow dim? Can your heart grow hard? Can you lose your grip, your footing, Can you, as a Christian, become ineffective and unfruitful? Can you? Can you fail to grow as a Christian, even after years of being a Christian? Can you fail to grow? The answer is yes. Absolutely, emphatically, yes. The New Testament is written to folks that experience that. Churches that experience that, and it's filled with that. We would, while we would never say you could lose your salvation, you can definitely do that. You can fail to grow. You can fail to be healthy. You can fail to be where you're at. In Corinthians, Paul says, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're still not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a mere human way? For when one says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And then in Hebrews, he says, he was talking about some very deep spiritual things about the priesthood of Christ. He says, about this we have much to say, and it's frankly, it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing for Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Solid food is for the mature. So, in closing, we put a lot of emphasis, don't we, on our physical health. Uh, on eating right, on exercising, on wellness assessments, on the food pyramid, depending on how you want to flip it. You know, my kids say, oh, no, not that. Yeah, you know, flip that thing over. Um, <clears throat> but when was the last time you took a spiritual assessment of yourself? How's your vision? I'm not talking about your eyesight. I'm talking about your vision. Um, how's your hearing? I'm not talking about your ability to discern frequencies in the hearing spectrum. I'm talking about, of course, your ability to hear God's word and to understand. How's your heart? You know, the, in, the, uh, in, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, the um, uh, Apostle John sees the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. And the Lord tells him to write down. He has an assessment of some of the churches that he wants to do, and he wants to give him, and he wants him to record this. And of all the seven churches, he always says the same thing. I know your works. I know your deeds. See, he doesn't say, I know your theology. He doesn't say, I I know your statement of faith. He says, I know your deeds. And so, sometimes maybe we need to take some supplements. And... I love this passage in 2 Peter 1. I'm going to close with this. For this very reason, make every effort to add or supplement to your faith virtue. Virtue. Some translations say goodness or moral excellence. Virtue. And then add to your virtue knowledge. That's where your knowledge. And then add to your knowledge self-control. Add to your self-control steadfastness or perseverance. Add to that godliness. Add to godliness brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. Add to your brotherly kindness love. See, nobody sees our theology, do they? And so, he came to give sight to the blind, he said, and to take sight. This is the other half of the sermon title. To take sight from those who think they see. So, if he's given you a heart, and ears, um, if he's given you eyes to see and a new heart, ears to hear, are you in Christ? Are you sure you're in Christ? Paul says, examine yourself, test yourself. If you are, are you growing in Christ? And if you are growing, are you healthy? Christ is standing at the door and knocking. Everyone takes that passage and... and uh, revelation out of context he's knocking on the door of believers hearts and he's saying please come back to me i counsel you to buy from me gold tried in the fire that you might be rich and rain it to to clothe your nakedness and to anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see and that's why he says as many as i love i rebuke and chasten Be zealous, therefore, and repent and come before the throne of grace with boldness. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the promise of the new covenant to remove our blindness, to give us ears to hear, to allow us to see you and to turn to you. And we know that unless you do that, we would never turn to you. 
Thank you for your holy word. Forgive us where we have neglected to feed on that which is of utmost importance to us, that we might live. Guard us from saying we're fine and that we have need of nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.